please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to continue making our way through this book this morning. As we turn to Acts chapter 1, just a reminder as to, to where we are, uh, the, the theme that we're looking at in the book of Acts is God's mission for his church, God's mission for his church. And we're in the first section of the book of Acts. We're talking about the, the witness and it laying a foundation. And so the things that we're talking about in these first few chapters of the book of Acts are, are foundational truths to the church. These are things that are true of, of all churches. Uh, last week, we talked about how the church has a mission, and that's true for the first century church. It's true for the churches in between, and it's true for our church today. The church has a mission uh, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. And this morning, we're going to see that the church has apostolic authority. That is, the, the church, God's true biblical church, has the authority of the apostles, the, the authority that God gave them to establish his church. The church is in submission to and still has that authority. And so let's look at Acts chapter 1, and if it's, if it's possible for you to do that right now without hurting a child, or if this is, or uh, if you're really comfortable right now and the, and the heat's a little bit of a trouble, don't, don't feel like you need to stand up, but if you'd like to stand up, please stand up as we read. God's word together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Jesus has just returned to heaven, and then we come to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide To those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a filled with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his camp become desolate. And let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23, And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You may be seated. May God encourage and instruct his, his church through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. Lord, we know we're, we're warm. We 
know that uh, there are lots of potential distractions, and yet we are here as your church, gathered to listen to your word, to praise your name, and Father, we pray that you would, would bless us for that, that you would allow us to know you more deeply because of our desire to, to be here with your people, uh, singing to one another and, and in being instructed in your word, and we pray that our hearts would be soft this morning, we pray that we'd be obedient to you. We pray that we would have a deeper love for you, your Son, the Holy Spirit, as we walk away today. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The idea of a, a connection to the, the first century church and the apostles is, is a biblical idea. And the desire to be connected to the, the authority of the apostles is a, a good and, and biblical desire. It's, it's, it's biblical to want to be in obedience and connected to that apostolic teaching. The, the problem is sometimes, sometimes we have some strange understandings about the type of connection we have to the apostles. Uh, for example, the, the Roman Catholic Church, in, in order to kind of give authority behind some of its traditions and some of its teachings, makes some very strong claims about its connection to the apostolic authority of the, the first apostles. So, for example, in their catechism, the Roman Catholic Church says this, when Christ instituted the twelve, uh, he placed Peter at the head of the twelve, chosen from among them, and the Lord made him alone, whom he named Peter, the, the rock of his church. He gave him the keys of his church and instituted him shepherd of the whole flock. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. The Pope Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity of both the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, the pope, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. So you see, that's a very strong claim of authority, right? And the desire is that the church desires to, to have authority, and so it needs to connect the, the traditions and the teachings of the current church with the original church. And it says, okay, there's this, this unbroken succession of, of Peter's uh, fellow bishops of Rome, and so now the, the pope has the same authority that the original apostles did. And obviously, we as, as Protestants would say, yeah, that, that is not biblical, it doesn't work out historically, there's, there's lots of problems with that. But the desire, the desire to be connected to the apostolic church, the, the original apostles and their authority, that's a good and biblical desire. And, and by the way, evangelical Protestants, we do some crazy things sometimes when it comes to trying to connect our traditions to the original apostles as well. In fact, as we think about the problems that, it, that we encounter as we think about our connection to the apostolic authority of the church, there's, there's kind of two errors we can make, right? One error we can make is we can say, okay, my traditions and my preferences about church have the same universal application that the apostles' authority did. So the apostles had the authority given by God to establish the church, and now my traditions and my preferences about what songs we should sing, my, my desire for 70s praise music, and uh, my, my belief that a sermon should be 25 minutes long or 125 minutes long, amen, 
Uh, we don't say amen enough would be another preference. I mean, there, there's all sorts of preferences that I can have that I can say, okay, my preferences should be the rule. They should, they should have the same weight as apostolic authority. All churches and all places should perform church the same way that I do. A building should be the, a certain type of building, a certain size. And maybe I'm not so arrogant as to say all churches everywhere, but all churches I go to should follow my preferences. We give our opinions the same weight as, as apostolic authority. The other error that we can make as we think about apostolic authority and the authority of the apostles who established the church through the authority of God is to just ignore it. We can be ignorant of what the apostles, through the work of God in their ministries, said about the mission of the church, about the methodology the church is to employ as it does the work of the church. Those are two errors we can make. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about this morning. Because the good news is this. The, the good news is it's very easy to make sure that we are in line with apostolic authority. We can simply go to God's word, particularly in the New Testament, and see what instruction the apostles have, have given us. It's very easy to be in submission to God's word in that way. Here's the main idea I want us to think about. As believers... As those who are disciples of Christ, as believers, we continue to submit to the apostolic authority upon which the church is built. As believers, we continue to submit to the apostolic authority on which the church was built. And this morning, we're going to talk about two things. First of all, we're going to talk about the, how the apostolic ministry is ordained by God. We're going to look at that in verses 12 through 20. And then we're going to see how the apostolic ministry is a unique ministry and how we need to respond to it. So first of all, let's look at verses 12 through 20, and let's see how this, this apostolic ministry is, is, or, is ordained by God, the ministry of the 12 apostles in particular. And we'll begin in verse 12. It says that the, the, they, they returned to Jerusalem, those who had seen Jesus return to heaven. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, and it says it's about a Sabbath day's journey away. So they travel about three quarters of a mile. And they go into an upper room, and we don't know exactly what upper room this is. Maybe it's the same upper room they were in a month and a half ago. Maybe it's a, a different upper room. It probably would have been the third story of a wealthy person's building. would have been accessible from stairs on the outside. They, they go into that upper room, and what do they do? They wait. They're being obedient to what they've been instructed to do. Jesus says, go and, and wait until you receive power. And so they do that. They don't form a committee. They don't say, okay, let's, let's brainstorm about how we should do this thing. They don't start a, a strategic plan. Okay, we're going to tackle Jerusalem in this way. They, they, they simply wait for God's instructions. Then they pray. Prayer is going to be so crucial throughout the book of Acts. But again, I want you to notice the disciples don't have inherent authority or, or supernatural power on their own to decide what to do. They don't get to, to determine how to maximize outreach. The church is God's church, not just in the sense of ownership, in the sense of determining its structure, its shape. They're engaging in simple obedience here. And that should be very encouraging to us. There are lots of good things that a church can do, but 
many things we aren't required to do. In a pandemic, obedience can, can feel like it's very tough because there's all these things that we were doing and now we're not able to do. The good news is, look, the things we must do, the things we must do are very simple and limited. Look at how the text continues. Everyone's there in the upper room. He mentions the, the, the 11 of the 12 disciples and they're devoting themselves to prayer. And then Peter stands up. And Peter recognizes a problem. Remember, Luke has just listed off 11 disciples. Someone's missing. And that's Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And I would imagine that as Peter stands up, and as everyone is in this room waiting for the Lord to send power, Judas's absence is very conspicuous. And the question that must be going on in the disciples' mind is, is they think about Jesus' ministry, and they knew that Jesus had been entrusting this ministry to them. We know that they had been told by Jesus that there would be witnesses for him, that they would have this special ministry, that there would be a, a special future ministry for them as well. And now they look around, and there's only 11 of the 12. And, and the question is, okay, can this ministry still take place, one? And two, was God's sovereign plan somehow thwarted? Did Judas mess everything up? And listen to what Peter says. He, he says, okay, first of all, notice that what's happened here had to be fulfilled. This is what he says in verse 16. This, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And that word fulfilled means to, to be brought about. Sometimes it can refer to be, it had to be brought about at the exact right time, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So in other words, what David said, what God said through David had to take place concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who rested Jesus. Verse 17, he talks about Judas's ministry. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So yes, it's true that Judas had a specific ministry that had been given to him by God, that there was this specific office that he was fulfilling, that there's significance to that. There was a share of the ministry that he had, appointed by Jesus, and, and now that share is, is missing. So yes, that's, that's true, Peter says. And then he talks about why that took, took place, and kind of gives a little flashback in verses 18 through 19 about Judas's death. And if you read what Luke writes about Judas's death in verses 18 and 19 and read what Matthew writes about Judas's death and Judas hanging himself. You say, okay, they're, they're emphasizing different things. Matthew emphasizes exactly what Judas did, how he hanged himself, and Luke seems to be emphasizing through Peter's words, or, or Peter's emphasizing at this point, uh, the, the actual, uh, maybe what took place to him, uh, what took place to his body after he had hung himself. Peter is focusing here on God's judgment on Judas. Matthew is focusing on the Jewish leaders and their guilt. But then Peter comes back to the point in verse 20. He says, okay, what's taking place here? Judas, yeah, here's, here's where Judas is sat. This is Judas's empty chair. Yes, we're missing one of the disciples, one of the 12. And yet, this had to be fulfilled. This is what God spoke through David. And, and remember what had happened at the end of the Gospel of Luke. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus had opened their mind to, to understand the Scriptures, and specifically the things in Scripture concerning himself. 
And so Peter is able to understand that David, when he's writing about the Lord's anointed, that David in the Psalms is not always writing about himself, that he's also writing about the ultimate and sometimes only writing about the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which is Jesus, the ultimate anointed. David, and Kevin even kind of alluded to this in his prayer, David was waiting for Jesus. David is, is, uh, David is a, a precursor to Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of the Lord's anointed. And so Peter, as he thinks about Scripture, is able to recognize, okay, this Scripture is not ultimately talking about David. This Scripture that talks about the betrayal, that talks about judgment on those who oppose God's anointed, this is ultimately talking about, when it talks about the anointed, this is ultimately talking about the Messiah. It's ultimately talking about Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever read through the Psalms. I'm reading through the Psalms right now and in the mornings. And sometimes when I, when I read through the Psalms and I come to one of those passages that, that's talking about how people have oppressed me or people have persecuted me, I, I read those and <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if you think this as well. Sometimes I think, okay, that kind of applies to me. Maybe there's a situation in life where I feel like someone has treated me unfairly. But, but as I continue reading the Psalm, I, I realize, okay, it applies to me sometimes a little bit, but never fully. Like as the psalmist talks, t- starts talking about his innocence and how people hate me without cause, and I'm like, well, I wouldn't say totally without cause. I'm not completely innocent here. There's only one person, as, as we think about the psalms that talk about vengeance upon the Lord's anointing, there's only one person who has been completely innocent and persecuted without cause, and of course, that would be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So Peter talks about these two passages. He, he quotes from... Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And Psalm 69 says in verse 24, pour out your indignation upon them. This is talking about those who have attacked God's anointed and a curse on them. And and, and then he says in verse 25, may their camp be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents. And and Peter applies it individually to to, to Judas. And then he quotes Psalm 109. And Psalm 109 is talking about those who have attacked who attacked God's anointed and how they should lose their positions of prominence and let other take, take, others take their positions of prominence. Psalm 109, verse 5, they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. And then verse 8, may his days be few, may another take his office. And tragically, Judas has lost his office. He's tragically missed out on the opportunity that God had provided for him. 2020 has been like the year of missing out, missing out on job opportunities and proms and building openings, just missing out after opportunity missed out. It's nothing compared to the opportunity that Judas misses out in being in proximity to the Messiah and eternally missing out in fellowship with him. Judas, Peter is saying, must lose his office. Another, because Scripture has ordained this and understood this would happen, another must take his place. This is biblical. Here's what Peter realizes. Peter realizes that this apostolic office is not a a man-ordained office. The apostles don't get to create it. And even an apostle who leaves his position doesn't, doesn't lose out on, doesn't, cause God's ministry not to take place. This is God's ministry. 
The ministries the church is going to do are not determined by man. The mission is not determined by man. This is God's ministry. Now, here's the first thing that I hope happens as we think about apostolic authority this morning. The first thing that I hope happens is it creates a sense of humility in us. Sometimes pastors use the phrase, God has given me this vision. Or God has told me that our, our church needs to do this task. I think that's a very dangerous phrase for a pastor to use. Or sometimes a church member might say, you know, God has called me to do this, and and God has told me to do this specific thing. And I would just encourage us to be very careful to speak with an authoritative voice about what God wants his church to do is a uniquely apostolic ministry. And and humility in a church means, look, as, as we As we do things as a church, we consider others more important than ourselves, and we recognize, look, ultimately this church is God's church. And so as as we get ready to to move into a building, and as we get ready to to move out of uh, COVID community church and into the church that God has called us to be in the future, and we restart up ministries, we ask, okay, what would God have us do, not what what I desire us to do? It means that sometimes we are going to get the specific applications of God's mission wrong or they're not going to go the way that we think they are and it, when that happens we're going to be humble and say you know what that that didn't that didn't work the way that i thought it would should have done something differently perhaps it means we're going to handle our disagreements well it means we're going to be quick to forgive others it means we're going to gladly sacrifice because the apostolic ministry that god used to establish his church is god's it's god ordained here's the second thing i want us to think about about the apostolic ministry you guys are doing great. I know it's hot. It's hot up here, too. <laughs> I told Whitney this morning, I was like, I'm not going to wear shorts, so I'll be motivated to go more quickly. It's working. <laughs> well, now there's an amen. Uh, just kidding. Um, the apostolic ministry is a unique ministry. That's the second thing I want us to see. The apostolic ministry is a unique ministry. It says that Peter continues. He says, because this is a 12 person team, we need to appoint a, a new person, and, and who can fulfill this office? And notice there's, there's three things that let us know this is unique ministry. Number one, there are unique qualifications to be an apostle. What, what does Peter say? He says, we need one of the men who've accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, Peter here is talking about selection to the office of one of the 12. And and we read in the New Testament that there is a slightly broader group that includes people like Paul and and Barnabas. They are also apostles. Now, to be a part of the 12, what's the qualification? There's spiritual qualification. I'm sure that's, that's implicit here. But look, you have to be a witness. You have to be one who was there from the beginning, from the time of John's ministry of baptizing, probably specifically baptizing Jesus. You need to have seen that and be able to say, yeah, I saw that. This is what happened. And then you needed to have been there whenever Jesus returned, when he ascended. You need to be a, a witness to those things. That was a unique qualification. And even in the, the New Testament, as the, apostolic, uh, as the apostolic office is broadened slightly, even then you need to be someone who's seen the risen Lord, that's what Paul tells us, and Jesus himself appoints. So that's unique qualification. There's also, number two, a unique selection process. 
a unique selection process for an apostle. Jesus is the one who selects the apostles. Luke chapter 6, it says that he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them the twelve whom he named apostles. Then he lists the same apostles we mentioned earlier, plus Judas. John 6, 70, Jesus says, I, I chose you, the twelve. And so what happens here in Acts is that the church gathers, or this is pre-church, they, this, this group of this, this community of faith gathers, and they, they say, okay, these two people fit the bill. They have these qualifications, and they say, okay, Lord, and I think they're talking here to, to uh, God the Son, okay, Lord, now, now you select, and God sovereignly selects through the, the casting of lots. Now, uh, some people would look at this passage and say, Daniel is, is making decision by law. It's a biblical way now to make decisions, and I tend to think not uh, for these reasons. It's, it's nowhere mandated in Scripture. And secondly, after this story, as we go through the New Testament and the Holy Spirit is given, we never see the casting of lots again. So there's there's unique selection process. Jesus himself selects the disciples. And I, I think another thing that people sometimes read into the story. They say, well, maybe the disciples got this wrong. Maybe the wrong guy was chosen. But I, I think that misunderstands the nature of ministry. Those who minister, minister the glory of God. And some people say, well, Matthias never really appears again in the story. Paul is prominent. Peter's prominent. But Matthias doesn't make a, a real splash in the narrative. And I say, you know what? I, I, think, I think that misunderstands the nature of ministry. Ministry is not always flashy, but it's always faithful. So this is unique ministry. There's unique qualifications. There's a unique selection process. And there's a unique role and authority that apostles play. Remember Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, look, I've given you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. In John chapter 14, we read that God is going to enable the the 12, to know and communicate his special revelation through the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. First John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so now, what we understand biblically is the church is built upon the apostolic ministry of the, of the 12 and the expanded apostles, the people who are witnessing, the people that Jesus selects in the New Testament, the, the people that the initial core of the apostles are the 12, of which Matthias becomes a part. I notice that ministry in the church doesn't take place until Matthias is selected. Ephesians 2, 19 says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's unique authority that the apostles play. Here in the first century, Jesus selects divinely the men who will continue the ministry of, of establishing the church. He invests in them a unique authority to speak God's words to his church. And we see that taking place throughout the book of Acts. We see it taking place throughout the New Testament. Amazing to think about. Amazing to think about as, as we read the New Testament in particular. These are the words that God has given to us through the apostolic ministry, the apostolic authority 
of these individuals. There's also a unique future role for the apostles. Jesus says this in Luke, and and this is actually for for the 12 apostles. Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, you're those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 21 talks about how one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and came and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now what this, what this means, I believe, for us to think about, and, and as you read through the book of Acts, you might come to the story and say, man, that, that, that was a long story on something that didn't seem all that important. What this means is that this is unique office and a unique ministry. There are not apostles today. There are some great people to read. There are some, you know, read read Tripp and Piper and Wilkin and and, and read read these these authors and glean from them and benefit. But understand this: there are no apostles today. And we come to God's word to understand the essentials of what God wants us to know. The Puritans talked about this. The Puritans talked about the difference between extraordinary and ordinary ministers. And an extraordinary minister is one who ministers without error and receives his authority directly from God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And in case you're wondering, you do not have an extraordinary pastor. I mean, good, but not extraordinary. Hopefully faithful but not extraordinary. That ministry is over. Hebrews chapter 2, listen to Hebrews chapter 2. It says we, we pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. So we, we heard these things from the apostles and, and we don't want to drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We need to pay attention to this message that God has given us through his apostles and the implication here in Hebrews is that this apostolic ministry is coming to a close. What's the point of application for us? First, there there needs to be a personal willingness on our part to be in submission to, to the authority that God has given us in the apostles. And and how can we do that? We can go to God's word and we can read what they have told us about who we are, who we are in Christ, what what God revealed through them about who we are in Christ and what God has revealed through them about who we are to be as a church and about how we're to be as, as children and who we're to be as parents and how we're to be as employers and as servants and as whatever God would have us. We can go and we can find in his word his authoritative word, who we are and who we are supposed to be in light of who we are. 
And, and brothers and sisters, if you are not daily in God's word, pouring over it, trying to find his instruction and his word to you, you are, are failing to avail yourself of God's grace. And you are not going to be as successful in, in being who God has created you to be in Christ. And if you are a, a person in a position of, of shepherding and discipleship, you're a parent or a grandparent, and you're not daily taking the, the people in your ministry to God's words and look, here's what God has told us. Here's who we are to be in Christ. Here's who you are apart from Christ. Here's what Christ has done for you. And now here's how you can live in obedience to who you are as you place your faith in, in Christ. If you're, if you're failing to do that, you're, you're failing to submit yourself to the authority that God has given us. And other devotionals can be great, can be great supplements in helping us understand some of those things. But ultimately, we come to the word and we say, okay, God, what have you told us to do? We come to the prophets and the apostles and say, who are we? Who are you, God? And how do we live in obedience to you? Second point of application. Second point of application. We live in a very anti-authoritative age. And it can be very scary for us to make absolute truth claims to people. And yet, what do we encounter in Scripture? In, in Scripture, we see God calling his people to speak his authoritative word to the world. We call others to submit to apostolic authority as well. Not because of the, not because of the goodness of these individual men, but because God used them and spoke through them to give us his very words. We consider the core truths to which they witness, the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And our role is to believe what they've told us and to continue their ministry. Have I heard and understood the gospel? I need to ask myself. Have I believed the gospel? Do I, have I responded in repentance and faith to the gospel? We'll talk about that as we get into chapter 2. And then, am I, am I calling others to believe and respond to the gospel? As believers, we continue to submit to the apostolic authority upon which the church is built. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for your apostles, the, 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 the people with, with imperfections who you nevertheless used to, to speak your very words and how we can come to, the, to, to both the Old and the New Testament, particularly this morning as we talk about the New Testament. We come here, we can find your words to your church. And, and Father, we pray that you would help us to be in submission to them. We pray that by your divine enabling of the Holy Spirit, we would study them, we would understand them, we would believe them, and we would live them. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.